The curtains come up on some aspects of life in New York City, but you can expect it to remain down on Broadway for a while longer due to the coronavirus pandemic. And if you're wondering how long a while is, well, that remains to be seen. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Coming up, I'll be talking with Charlotte St. Martin, president of the Broadway League, about the future of the Great White Way. We're looking at, do we need to replace the HVAC systems in some of these hundred-year-old businesses? Can we get access to instant testing? What can we do for the audience? Can we change the ingress, you know, the ins and outs of coming to a theater? But first, while many of us haven't ventured outside too much in the last few months, photographer Peter Pabone has been traversing New York City to document life amidst the coronavirus pandemic. I caught up with him on Zoom to learn more about what he's capturing in his photos. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Hey, how's it going? Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you're a native New Yorker. Where in New York City did you grow up? I grew up in East Harlem, uh, first on 105th between 1st and 2nd, and then towards closer to my teenage years on 112th and Madison. When did you develop an interest in photography? Probably around the same time I started skateboarding, which is kind of interesting because it was kind of the only way we, we communicated what we did with one another. So, so what were you photographing in those early days? I assume you were probably, what, a preteen at that point? Uh, 14, 15, 16. And then, again, I picked up a camera, I would say around 18, 19. And it was just shooting my friends and shooting skateboarding. Then I got into graphic arts. And so the camera went, put, got put down for a minute and started sitting in front of a computer. And then I guess when I moved to Rockaway and I started surfing, I started shooting it when I wasn't surfing. So, Your portfolio is so expansive. It includes everything from portraits to music to travel to food. Do you have a favorite area? Um, portrait work, I think. Um, but more so uh, environmental portrait, like people in their environment, I think, and people doing what they love or just people doing what they do on a day-to-day. I think that's my i i gravitate towards that mostly so not necessarily staging people just capturing them in no environments i've done that stuff i've done like editorial studio work Uh, there's nothing wrong with it it's it's still part of the craft but for me it's more um i like shooting people doing what they love and so that that's where i kind of gravitate towards let's jump to the here and now you've been documenting life in new york city during the coronavirus pandemic what inspired you to hit the streets to capture images in the midst of the outbreak? An answer, like what's what what, what happens next? What do we do next? How do how do we move forward? I, I I'm lucky to have a lot of friends that own small businesses, um, like bars and restaurants. So seeing how they navigate it, and and New York being such a social socially dependent place, and that's usually where things go down and seeing how they navigate it kind of gives me hope that we'll kind of move forward as opposed to being this insular little species that lives inside of boxes, which is terrifying. (laughs) How soon after they told us to stay indoors, did you head outdoors with your camera? I want to say like a few weeks, uh, like one or two weeks, kind of when we started, when they started to figure out how things, kind of, how, how COVID is spread and like 
that was my main concern because the last thing you want to do is be responsible. I mean, look, if I got sick, then I got sick and that's on me. But if I got someone else sick, that's, that's a little, that's, you know, that's hard morally. Like, cause it's, you know, you don't know how it affects certain people. Like you can be asystematic and you're all right. And it'll be like a cold or it'll hit someone else completely different and it'll, you know, take them away from us. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So you did it, but you wanted to do it responsibly. Exactly. Exactly. And I also wanted to do it around people that kind of were trying to do it responsibly themselves as well. So you live in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn now. Did you largely stay in that area or did you venture all over the No, I luckily own a car. So I just kind of like ventured out towards the city because the city, I mean, look, I walked around the neighborhood. The good thing about certain neighborhoods is that they're going to kind of exist the way they exist regardless of what's going on so sheepshead bay is a relatively old-fashioned neighborhood like old school new york neighborhood so people are just going to do what they do they just might wear masks um but like new york uh the city is a very it's just i don't know it's like the melting pot it's like where everyone goes to get everything done or just to meet their friends so to me it was really important to go back into the city and see how the city was going um, a lot of friends wanted, were asking me if I wanted to go and shoot the city when it was empty, and I just didn't feel right doing it. Um, to me, New York is is the people. Um, that's what makes me – I mean, if I wanted to go see an empty city, I can go to Ohio, like, on a Sunday. <laughs> you know, but New York, it's about the people here. and Without that energy of people there, it's just not the same. So I just kind of – I don't know. I, I like shooting people. So what did you discover when you started to drive around the city amidst the pandemic? What did you start to see and photograph? Um, certain people were kind of navigating around it. They, they either it was, they just felt the drive to do so. Like my friend Roman who owns Regina's grocery. He, I mean, be it, it's his business and he didn't want to lose it. And he had something that he can offer to, to first responders so he started making sandwiches and donating sandwiches to like Harlem hospital and stuff like that. And other people, and some people just closed down. Um, I think seeing and watching my friends try and figure out what they were going to do and how are they going to move forward and how are they either going to do something socially responsible and also kind of maintain a hold on their businesses. And it's a fine line, you know, cause unfortunately New York is a very expensive city to live in and you know, I think we're dealing with that now and it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we come out of this, especially with what's going on now, like in the social climate, deregulate, like defunding police. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question. Have you been also documenting the protests against police um, and racial injustice? Uh, no, actually I have a very, very ethical stance on that. Um, it's hard to shoot people fighting for social reform without jeopardizing them. And so like, there's that moral stance where I don't want my photos being used to incriminate people in doing anything that's, uh, that may be used to, to incarcerate or, or just find them forever for whatever reason. So I, I rather just shoot people trying to actually get from under this and, and, and go on with their lives. Cause I want to hope that there's going to be that afterwards. Do I, do I believe in social change? Yes, I do, but I don't need to shoot it. There's enough people doing that. And um, 
and not to say that I have no interest in it. It's just not, it's not what I gravitate towards. So as the city reopens, are you still going out and capturing photos? Of Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do. I try and find pockets of people kind of moving forward. Um, and just do it slowly and try and be a little more responsible because at the end of the day, you just don't want to, I don't want to come off as someone like that says blatantly shooting people and, and, and trying to show the city kind of just ignoring the fact that there's this, like, we still haven't found a cure or any sort of indicator on how this is going to affect us or how it's continuing. Like, we don't even know like what the number is going to be after in, in a few weeks because of all the protesting and it's just it's just interesting, you know, it's, it's like really uncertain times and I don't know. I'm How many kinda, photos have you taken so far? Uh, I shoot every day, except like, like today I might go out later on in the afternoon. So I'll, 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 I'll average about 20 or 30 photos a day. And I try to post on a daily portraits. Like I've been, I've been good at posting portraits on my, on my feed daily. I don't know what I'm going to do with them in terms of a body of work at some point. I got to sit down and think about that, but I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a lot of that in this time. Now it's going to be interesting to see what's the documentation of this period in time in the city or in the U S and how many people are going to actually put out bodies of work based on this. So it'd be interesting. And where is that feed? How can people take a look at these images? Um, as of now, unfortunately, it's like the Instagram is pretty much where I kind of just populate my uh, photos and my portrait work. I mean, I have my website. Um, Instagram is just my name, Peter Pavone. Um, and my website is peterpavone.net. So. What are among the most impactful images that you've captured? Oh, that's a hard one. I got to look. I got to I mean, all of them, I think all of them to me are pretty impactful. It's all my, it's all the people that I know trying to, trying to move forward. I don't think that there any one image, I think it's just a body of work at this point. No, not one image. I do love that, uh, that AP image that, uh, I'll find it right now. That, uh, what's his name? Uh, Julio Cortez took of the, the protester running with the flag and the, behind the flames. Mm-hmm. That to me, I think is synonymous about, uh, about the social climate now, what's going on now. And so far as COVID, ah, man, there's so many. I, I, I love the portraits of the actual um, first responders with the, the, the impressions of their masks and how long they, those images. Could I, could, could I shoot those? I mean, I don't know. It's been done. So it's, it's not, I don't, I don't know. It's not what I want to do. Yeah. Um, I just like shooting my, I, I like shooting people trying to figure out how they're going to go forward. I guess that's my, uh, that's the message I want to kind of convey that there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel and that we're going to figure this out. And then we're going to, even if we don't find a cure that will man, we'll figure out a way to kind of navigate and move forward. And, and, and social interaction won't be something that dies on the wayside. This will be our only form of actually interacting with one another as humans. Yeah, it's, not through Zoom, right? Not this way. <laughs> no, no, this isn't personal. It's a personal and it's weird. And it's just, it, it, as someone who likes to take portraits, it's just, it, it feels like I've been robbed of, like, like my hands have been cut off. Mm. So... When people look back on your photos, say 20, 30 years from now, what do you think will be the lessons? I don't know. I hope people 
look at them and they say, well, you know, there was some, you know, there was some hardship. There were some things that people had to navigate, but they figured out a way. I mean, we're, we're pretty industrious and we figure out how to do things. But when we really want to do things, we actually figure out how to do them. And sometimes we get complacent and get lazy and we expect technology to take over and kind of make being complacent and lazy easier, which is stupid. But um, I just want people to kind of figure out ways to kind of persevere and work through things and not kind of get comfortable in being distant. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, it seems like you want to document progress that we keep moving forward you you know you said it a couple of times that that's what you're documenting it's not you know people who are going to throw their hands up in the air and say you know what this is it we're not going to advance i mean you're capturing people who are facing adversity right head on and, and trying yeah to it's take it somewhere. i mean that's what i mean I, I just how i think that's how we got so far i mean that's why we strive and t- like as a, as a species is because we advance and we get, we didn't, we wanted just to survive. Like, I mean, depending on what your uh, ideals are, whether we, you know, be, you know, evolution or, or, you know, if you're a little more philosophical, but we wanted to advance as a species. So we had to be a genius and we had to actually use the ability to reason and think to actually move forward. I hope that we can continue to do so and not lean on technology to make things easier for us so that we don't actually have to move or think or do anything. And unfortunately that's what's been happening. And I think this is kind of showing us that we can actually move forward and not, we can be dependent on technology to communicate, but we have to also be um, dependent on one another and our abilities to actually do things to move forward. Would you say there's anything about your photos that are quintessentially New York, New York's response to COVID-19 compared to other cities, other places in America where photos could be taken as well? Um, uh, for lack of a better word, I think there's a little bit of like my, my, my upbringing, like growing up in Harlem and being uh, Puerto Rican, Ecuadorian, and growing up in the like 80s and 90s and hip hop and street and being influenced by art and, and street culture definitely kind of gives me a, a certain perspective where I, I, toward, I tend to gravitate towards subculture and shooting people who kind of um, work within those, um, that box of, 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 of genre. A lot of my friends are, you know, either worked in music or have friends who are straight, like, you know, hustlers. And But that's usually the direction that I kind of gravitate towards. And that's, uh, I would say if there's any sort of uh, box to put around what I shoot, it's probably that. All right. But, well, Peter, we'll check you out on Instagram. Check thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. All right, you're welcome. Thank you. Peter Pabone is a photographer in New York City. You'll find him on Instagram and on his website, peterpabone.net. Broadway remains dark because of the coronavirus pandemic, but a lot of thought is going into how to safely reopen the Great White Way. Charlotte St. Martin is president of the Broadway League. I recently talked with her about what it will take to raise the curtain again on Broadway shows. Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's my pleasure. 
So start us off with a little background on the Broadway League. Who do you represent and such? The Broadway League is the trade association that represents commercial theater in New York City and around the country, which is 242 cities. Our members are the producers of the Broadway shows, the theater owners themselves, the presenters, the people who come into New York, take a show to tour around the country, and then the general managers, the people who actually manage the shows for some of the producers. So that's who we are. We do all of the things that are for the good of the business. We do research. We happen to do all the labor contracts in New York City, which is 17. We do the Tony Awards with the American Theater Wing. We co-own that. Uh, we do all the branding of Broadway as a brand. And government relations and lobbying and membership and conferences. So we're like the NFL for Broadway. Hmm. So what does it feel like, Charlotte, to see Broadway dark for so long now? Well, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I know that uh, so many people come to Broadway because it's an escape from life as we know it. It's escape from reality. Some you laugh with others, you cry with others. Uh, but for two hours, you were somewhere else. And so I know how passionate the fans are because many of them are saying, work harder, get us open. And I'm going, find a cure and I'll get you open. But uh, beyond that, you know, Broadway is responsible for 97,000 jobs in New York City. And every one of those jobs represents a human being and a family. And I know they're out of work. And that's heartbreaking. I mean, it's not just actors. It's everybody that puts on a Broadway show, everybody that works, the designers. That, and then the businesses that support it, the, the people who build the sets, the people who do the advertising. You know, it's, it's a big industry, and it's a, an important one for New York City, for sure. Is there a target date right now for reopening Broadway? Yes, the target date is when it will be safe for the cast, crew, and theater goers. We're currently uh, exchanging and refunding tickets through September 6th. And if there's no magic bullet that happens between now and then, uh, we're guesstimating that the next time would be late fall or early winter into which we possibly could be opened. But, you know, we're in phase four of the governor's plan for mass gatherings. and even if he told us tomorrow we could go back to work, we would not until we were assured that people would be safe. Yeah, clearly you're not only concerned about the audiences, you're concerned about the performers, the workers, the stagehands, the ushers. Everyone needs to be safe once those curtains go back up, right? That's exactly right. I mean, our theaters, for the most part, are 100 plus years old. Uh, I would say it's very cozy backstage. Uh, for some backstages, this is about the size of a normal living room. And if you've got 40, 50, 60 people working back there, there's just no way to socially distance them and keep it safe without some, uh, some special magic bullet that hopefully is being developed. I mean, we do hear uh, with cautious optimism that there are many things that are in the works, including a couple of potential vaccines. Uh, and other kinds of tests that you can do in 15 seconds. And 
those might actually help the cast if we could test them every day before they went on and they didn't have you know the virus then we they could go on but then we couldn't socially distance the audience without a completely different financial model yeah what might that model look like you're talking about what that model might look like well we're not talking about it because right now it would mean breaking up the model that has worked uh, i mean it would have to be lower wages for everyone lower rent for the theaters uh, lower fees for all the designers uh, lower salaries for all the people working on it uh, the return you know and broadway has a very slim margin of profit except for the one in a hundred giant hit like lion king or hamilton or wicked i mean that you know have done very well over a long period of time but most shows don't recoup on their investment and that's why they close as quickly as they do because the, not only the capitalization for the shows is mighty uh the running costs each week are very high i mean we have the best theatrical employees in the world but they are also the most expensive theatrical employees in the world so the combination means we've got to have a good financial model to be able to just open on broadway how much money would you estimate broadway has lost since the curtains went down in march do you have that estimate yes we've uh estimated that about 35 million dollars a week for ticket sales alone that doesn't include anything else uh we do all the research for Broadway, and we know that the economic impact for New York City is $14.7 billion for our last season, full season. That means New York City is losing well over a billion a month off of our efforts. But it's difficult to measure beyond the loss of ticket sales. Will some shows not reopen because of financial losses? Well, three shows have already announced they're not opening. Frozen being the most high profile, uh, it will not reopen. Uh, then two shows that were in previews that were about to open, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Laura Metcalf and uh, Hangman. And then we've had several shows postponed to the fall, which most likely they'll have to postpone till the spring at this point. Uh, but the longer we're out, the likelihood is more shows will not be able to come back. I know that the producers are working hard to keep their casts together and their uh, investors together, but you can only go so long with no income. So absent any vaccine, have you conducted any surveys to determine the audience's level of comfort for returning to see a show on Broadway if, again, there should be no vaccine? We are watching what others are saying. We uh, reached out to a very top-level research company early on, and they said, don't do any research right now. You're in the panic phase. What do you expect people to say? I'm going to go back in the theater where everybody could potentially have the virus. Of course, they're going to say that. So we made the decision and we're about to start uh, to start the research when all of the, you know, the cues were flattened out. Fewer hospitalizations, fewer deaths, fewer new cases. And so we will be doing extensive research about when they're ready to come back, what it take, will take for them to come back. I mean, we're talking about all of the things, other things we could do besides a vaccine, including the audience wearing a mask until they're actually seated in their chair, uh, contactless ticketing, contactless 
faucets and toilets uh, and everything else that we can find. We're looking at, do we need to replace the HVAC systems in some of these hundred year old businesses? Uh, can we get access to instant testing? What can we do for the audience? Can we change the ingress and you know the ins and outs of coming to a theater? Do we make the show shorter and not have an intermission so you don't have the you know the long lines that are cozy to get into the restrooms? We'll be looking at all of that, uh, but certainly a vaccine or some type of scientific solution that makes it makes people more comfortable either a medicine that will make you less likely to get it and die from it or uh, shots that maybe don't last as long as the vaccine, but that protect you for a period of time. I know there's research on that. So um, we've got 23 task forces now working on what it's going to take to come back, six of which are the protocols for the cast, crew, and audience. What about selling in-person and virtual tickets to give people the option of whether they want to go to the theater or they want to watch from home? Well, unfortunately, the financial model doesn't work that way either. It costs us as much to live stream uh, as it would be to put to be a movie or be on television. Uh, we can't even do a free concert in Times Square and not pay the fees to live stream it. So we can't live stream it. We used to have an event called Broadway on Broadway and 50,000 people got to see a free concert with 20 shows, but we couldn't put that on our own website, even though we didn't make a penny because of the union contracts. Charlotte, how much will Broadway be relying on locals to fill seats? Because all signs indicate it may be a while before international tourism picks back up again. Well, I mean, as I mentioned, we do the research for Broadway and we know that depending on the season, 35 to 40% of our audience comes from New York City and the tri-state area, Philadelphia, Newark, Connecticut, so forth. Uh, we know that 20% of the audience generally comes is international. So we don't anticipate they're coming back so soon. Uh, so that leaves you know, another 40% that are domestic um, and we think we'll get a lot of those. We know uh, from a lot of the travel industry reports that we get that there's pinup demand for travel. And we have seen over the history of Broadway that when, when people don't travel internationally, they come to cities like New York and San Francisco to, for their vacations. They might have been going to Paris this summer but now they're gonna to come to New York and see theater and do things like that. So, I mean, we don't anticipate coming back uh, with the kind of occupancy in the theaters that we had when we closed. I mean, our last fiscal year, uh, we had 94% of our seats filled on an annual basis. That's pretty dramatic for any business, right? I came from the hotel business and you had a 94% annual occupancy, you were doing really well. Yeah. Um, so we're hopeful that we come back with a healthy enough audience to maintain and sustain the business. Uh, and we know that the New Yorkers will definitely be back. I mean, I get so much email. I think I got 500 last week 
what are you doing to get us back? You're not working hard enough. I get email, I get Facebook. What are you doing? Are you dragging your feet? And I go, well, if it were up to me, it's, uh, I know how passionate they are about theater. So I can't wait for those passionate people to be sitting in those seats. Let me ask you this question, Charlotte. Considering Broadway is such an economic engine, do you think the city, the state, the federal government should be doing more to keep it afloat? Well, we would love to think that. We are working on that, I think, to be realistic. You know, the city and the state are broke and are going to be broke for a while if you listen to any of the press releases. Uh, we're working closely with the governor's task force, and we are talking to the federal government about it. Uh, because we do represent 97,000 jobs and we're commercial. So we get no federal, state, city relief anywhere. Never have. But this is a case of economics, not cultural uh, need, even though people do need culture. It's all those restaurants and hotels and garages and retail stores that depend on us to be happening need to go back to work. And everybody, I think, understands that. Uh, certainly the city and state do, but they don't have any money. So hopefully the federal government will get it. Charlotte, thank you so much for all the great work you're doing and everything that's going on behind the scenes to get Broadway back as soon as possible. Thank you, George. And thank you for giving us a chance to talk about it. Charlotte St. Martin is president of the Broadway League. More info about the group can be found at broadwayleague.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>